Hello, and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, what a week in Washington. That's the way it goes here sometimes. It seems like for the longest time, nothing is happening, and then everything starts to happen all at once. It sure felt like that this week. Of course, the main focus this week was on the tragedy that happened on the global stage. But also events are happening closer to home and closer to tax. We had Senate Finance Chair Ron Wyden release the legislative text of his international tax plan. And of course, we had high drama in the House as Speaker Pelosi worked hard to have a vote on an item that is absolutely critical to the direction of the legislative tax agenda this year. That last item is our topic for this week. The House is maneuvering to approve the fiscal year 2022 budget a budget that unlocks the reconciliation process to move taxes later this year. Joining me today to tackle this important topic are our old friends, Jenna Cunha and Jennifer Gray. So Jen and Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Let's just jump right in. All right, so Jennifer, all this drama we had this week, and there was a lot of drama. Can you explain to me, how did we get here? How did all this unfold or why did it unfold the way it did? You know, it's all related to a lot of intra-party drama within the Democratic House between the more progressive wing of the party and the more moderate wing of the party. And as you know, the Senate spent a long time negotiating, and we spent a lot of time talking on this podcast about a bipartisan infrastructure bill that had a few tax items in it, not a lot. So that had a lot of negotiation among moderate members in the Senate. To be honest, I think many folks thought they would not pull it off. They did. They were able to get that passed out of the Senate with a pretty strong bipartisan vote now comes over to the House. And, you know, I think the concern among progressives in the House is that if that infrastructure bill were to pass, that some Democratic moderates may claim victory, think that that's enough and not feel the need to do a reconciliation bill with a lot of social spending, or at least not as large of a reconciliation bill with social spending as some of the progressives need. So, there's been a very interesting back and forth, really in sequencing, you know, which one goes first or do they go together? Pelosi says she wants the bipartisan infrastructure bill that came from the Senate to move at the same time as a reconciliation bill, which would contain social spending. And we presume quite a few tax increases to offset that spending. And so the timing here is really about which goes first or do they go together and how do you get them to go together and who will vote for what? So then let me see if I got this right, Jennifer. It's not so much that the moderates opposed the budget or the reconciliation instructions, and it's not so much that the progressives opposed the bipartisan deal. It's just that both had concerns about passing one or the other separately, and that the progressives don't want the bipartisan deal without the reconciliation bill. What exactly was the concern then from the moderates, though, in approving the budget? Was their concern that they would never come back and get a chance at the bipartisan deal? They just didn't like the timing. My sense is more that they did not like the timing. I guess there's always, you know, the concern that maybe they would never come back. But I don't think that was a strong concern, particularly given how strongly the bipartisan agreement is supported by the White House. You know, I really think it was an issue of timing that they wanted to get that bill passed. You know, their view is some of the items in there, particularly on the the highway spending side and some of the other infrastructure spending, um, you know, the sooner that's done, the better that that's completed, the better. It also contains some reauthorizations that do have a deadline of October 1st. So I think you know, there was just really a 
feeling that they wanted to be able to get that pass as soon as possible and, and be able to have the good things in there as they see them go ahead and kick in. Okay, so as we've talked about before, you know, with the narrowly divided House and 10 moderate Democrats holding out on voting for the budget caused a real dilemma for Speaker Pelosi as to how to move the budget reconciliation, the the budget, as well as the reconciliation instructions, you know, attached to that and needed not all of them, almost all of them to be able to approve it. So, Jen, how exactly did Speaker Pelosi extricate herself from that very difficult situation? Well, it was a back and forth and a lot of intrigue earlier this week on whether or not it would pass. And when we say that it would pass, we're talking about the budget resolution that has that outline that we talked about during our last week's podcast on the upcoming reconciliation bill. So what wound up shaking out was to address this issue that Jennifer just talked about where you have the progressives that really want these two to move together, the bipartisan infrastructure deal and the reconciliation bill. But then you have the moderates that did not want to move that reconciliation instruction unless they had some assurances that what their bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, would get a vote at some time certain. And how it shook out earlier this week uh, was really interesting. Uh, Basically, There was a rule that was passed with respect to the budget that states that the House has to vote on the bipartisan bill by September 27th. That's not too far from now. And apparently that was enough to get the moderates to move on the budget reconciliation instruction. And it was deemed to have passed as soon as it moved out of rule. So We have that language in there originally. I don't know if you guys remember, but the language is a little softer, right? It wasn't formed. It wasn't as much of a guarantee. The language is firmed up. So it says that the House shall consider the motion. And this was enough to pacify all involved, at least the moderates that were needed to move the House budget, the budget resolution through. So we're recording this on the afternoon of Friday, August 27th. So one month from today, they've got to pull this off, right? So just to be clear then, Jen, what we have is an agreement that on the 27th, we will pass the, you know, a vote on, not pass, who knows, a vote on this bipartisan bill. But implicit in that is, you know, the the progressives, as Jennifer correctly said, the progressives said, we're not going to do that on by itself. It has to be coupled with this other, you know, the Democratic priority bill, the budget reconciliation bill. So that also means one month from today, that will have to be ready to go as well, right? I mean, will it have to be? The actual language of the rule only requires that the budget be put up for a vote. There's no requirement with respect to the actual reconciliation bill, but implicit in that deal, you're right, is that that they will move together, right? Because progressives don't want to vote for one in favor of one without the other. I think that's right, unless the progressives have changed their point of view. So coming back to then, that means, I think, what the position has been to only vote for the bipartisan bill if it is done in coordination with, maybe even simultaneously with, the reconciliation bill. So Jennifer, my question to you is, is that possible by September 27th? Theoretically, anything is possible. Is it likely? I would say definitely not. To be honest, I think even getting a reconciliation bill 
pulled together through the House in the next month and ready to be voted on in the floor of the House by the 27th. It's certainly doable, but will be challenging. And so the idea that it would move through the House and then move to the Senate and go through the Senate process and be in the House by the 27th, again, theoretically possible if you look at the calendar, but seems extremely difficult to do. It's a lot of steps and a lot of negotiations that will have to take place. And, you know, I think you know, perhaps if they, as they say, pre-conference it, where somehow the Senate and the House, you know, get together and come up with a bill that can get 50 votes in the Senate and can get the Democratic votes in the House before either vote on it, that perhaps in that situation, perhaps they can make that 27th deadline. But that seems pretty difficult. My sense is they're still negotiating within their own houses, the, the Senate and the House, on what could pass individually each body, let alone what could pass both bodies. Right. I mean, let's not forget what we're talking about in this reconciliation bill. You know, theoretically $3.5 trillion package with jurisdiction across multiple committees, right? We're not just worrying about one committee getting this. We have to get multiple committees on the same page, approve the legislation in committee, approve it through the House, send it to the Senate. The Senate would have to agree to it or modify it, send it back, reconcile it with the House. All that would have to happen by September 27th. Come on, that's not going to happen. But I think, as you said, Jennifer, what maybe is more possible, maybe this is the real goal, is to get the House version done, where the House can do its piece and ship it off to the Senate by uh, September 27th. Open question, though, is that going to be good enough for the progressives just to have the House version out? Are they really going to hold the line saying we need we we're only voting for the bipartisan bill when we get the final, final version ready to go to the president for signature? So, Jen, back to you. Next question, then. One month from today, what does that mean for tax? Let's bring it back to our, of course, our key question for our audience. What would have to happen between now and then in the tax world to pull that off? For tax, that means a lot has to happen in the next few weeks, and a lot has to happen in the next two weeks, to be exact. Because of that tight timeline, we're going to have to see some legislative text. The House is going to be primed to mark up the bill and pass it through committee. So the House Ways and Means Committee for the tax provisions would have to mark up those proposals, vote them out of the committee, and then that's when all of the negotiations, you know, they start to really take place before that happens, during the markup. They're going to either have to accept or reject amendments. And then it goes on to the House floor, assuming that, you know, every other committee of jurisdiction has also similarly marked up their bill. And after that happens, you have House passage, then it all starts again in the Senate. A lot has to happen in a really short amount of time. And we're going to be seeing a lot of language, a lot of new rules and draft legislation that has to be considered, you know, within the next two weeks. So for tax, you know, to correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't the Ways and Means Committee said that they are going to mark up beginning on September 9th? Do I have that right? That's their date? That is the date that everyone is reporting, September 9th for the markup, which means that, you know, we should expect to see the actual bill in advance of the markup. That's when the public consideration of the bill will begin. Right. So we could see the what we call the chairman's mark is typically what we would expect. You know, the chairman releases his his mark that to be marked up. Right. But that could come, you know, if the ninth is the date of the markup, then you know, twenty-four to forty-eight hours in advance, you would see the actual bill be publicly released. And again, that's a couple weeks away. And we're talking about a bill that is going to be, as we've talked about, you know, how many months we've been talking about the Biden tax plan 
This is it, right? It, we would see this bill that could potentially raise trillions of dollars in tax to help pay for the rest of this infrastructure bill. That is a really, really heavy lift. I'm not saying it's impossible. And, you know, when you're a staffer, you do what you have to do. But they're not going to get a lot of sleep up there on the House side and maybe not on the Senate side and, you know, anytime soon. All right, so let's just come back, you know, let's conclude with the most important question that you know folks are probably wondering. What are the implications of this for tax? So let's just start with this. I'd always assume we were not going to see legislative text until sometime in October, right? That Congress would return at the end of September, had to deal with funding the government at year end, they had debt limit hanging out there, and then they would do that and they would come back and then we would see text. We basically accelerated that by one month. So what are the practical implications of that? Well, I think potential effective dates, it is unusual, but certainly not unheard of to have an effective date for a provision be the date of introduction, which theoretically in this case would be the day that the mark was unveiled, which as you said, could be around September 7th, give or take. Now, whether if those types of effective dates were in legislation that was unveiled and whether those effective dates stayed in any legislation that made it across the finish line and actually signed is, is another question, but certainly I think there's at least a threat that we could see some immediate effective dates that would be tied to that date of introduction of Boys and Means legislation. Yeah, so we talked about, for example, capital gains at various points over the course of the year or so. What would the effective date be on an increase in the capital gains rate? Would it be retroactive? Would it be date of introduction? Would it be date of enactment? Would it be a future date? Well, here's our first test, right? Because if this bill, let's just say the chairman's mark were released on September 7th, uh, one of the first things I'm doing is flipping to the capital gains section, if it's in there, to see what the effective date is. And the same thing with any potential anti-abuse rules. So that's an important implication of how this accelerated release of legislative text hit effective dates. What else, Jen? What about the process? What about, you know, we haven't even talked about the Senate. What's the Senate's role going to be in all this? You know, that's a good question. It's going to be interesting, you know, who will lead the charge in the Senate, whether or not the committee will be marking up the bill. You know, that really is, that impacts timing because like we said before, you know, you have to have a notice requirement, you have notice period, and then, you know, the actual markup takes a significant amount of time or whether or not it will just bypass committee altogether and whether or not the Senate will just take it up on the floor. So there are a lot of implications with respect to the timing and, you know, whether or not there is time to have regular order with respect to, you know, committee level activity or if this just needs to be pushed out. So we've been saying pretty much all year that we imagined that this is going to take all fall, the House and the Senate with dueling versions, and it was going to take until December to pass tax legislation. This way it typically works is, you know, Congress is operating off a end of year deadline. That's the real deadline. Is anything that's happened this week, does that change anybody's point of view? Does it accelerate the actual completion date on the tax legislation? Could we expect it at the end of September or at the end of October? Or are we still looking late in the year? Anybody have a point of view how the process is going to play out in terms of timing? I think that the timing is going to hold just because these things just take a lot of time. Even though there's this aggressive deadline, September 27th, that is a really, really aggressive deadline. As Jennifer said, nothing is impossible. But, you know, if history is a guide, these things take weeks to not just to consider in the House, then another few weeks in the Senate, they have to broker the deal. And if it has to be conference, that takes an additional couple of weeks. So I th I'm still with, you know, November, you know, maybe it pushed it up to mid-November, earlier in November, but still end of the year. That's always the default, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yes, and I agree with that. You know, I think if perhaps Democrats had larger margins, maybe we could see this moving quicker. But given that they have to manage to educate and get every single senator on board, they can only lose three in the House. Given that level of detailed negotiation, I, I agree. I think it's going to still take a while. Well, this week we had a lot of drama around the legislative process, and it feels like it's just the beginning as we figure out how this plays out in the House over the course of September into the Senate in October and beyond. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting year. So it's all we have time for this week. Jen, Jennifer, thank you very much. And I am pretty sure we'll be back to this topic very soon. Well, that's all we have time for today. So I suspect many of you are wondering, does all this make a tax bill more or less likely to move this year? And that's hard to answer, really. Maybe the answer is neither. Look, one way to look at this week's deal in the House is that nobody really won or lost, that both sides just survived to fight another day. And that day may or may not be September 27th. Why do I say that? Well, the real question of whether or not to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill before the reconciliation bill, well, that question still exists. And that question isn't really going to change before September 27th. The reconciliation bill with its vast policy and political complexities, that is going to take time. Time to draft, time to score, time to negotiate, time to move through the procedural gears of Congress, and inevitably, time to reconcile between the House and the Senate. How do opposing factions in the House navigate this reality? With September 27th both simultaneously committed to, but also seemingly out of reach? I'm not ashamed to say I don't know. I just don't. And that's okay because it's really not knowable yet. That process just has to play out in the coming weeks. So in conclusion, what does any of this mean for the tax bill? This bill we've been podcasting about for more than a year. Well, it's pretty clear we are about to move to a new phase of the discussion around major tax legislation, a phase informed not just by the broad outlines of tax proposals and speculation, but rather a phase informed by legislative text and legislative action. So yes, that's a big leap forward in the process, but still has a long way to go. So to paraphrase Winston Churchill, this isn't the end. This isn't the beginning of the end, but it is maybe the end of the beginning. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. And please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.